Episode 10, A Hawk Sits Atop the Gates of Horn. Don't talk, just listen. Under the black sun there is no hope, only mystery, wonder. And danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network. closed. There are tubes in her nostrils and wires in her arms. The hospital blanket is pulled up to her midsection as she lies still in the hospital bed. Her name is Annika Smith and she will not wake. On Annika's left is her mother, Liz. Liz clutches a bag containing Annika's collection of Doc McStuffins dolls. There is a lamb a hippo, an unimpressive dragon, and Doc McStuffins herself. Liz holds this bag as though any moment now, Annika's eyes will snap open and she will yawn and stretch and ask for her toys. Sometimes, Liz imagines her daughter's eyes opening and she weeps at the freshly opened wound. On Annika's right is her father, Carver. He has wept the last of his tears. Carver had been a photographer before the city's descent into the world of the black sun and the midnight desert, a photographer of growing renown. Often as he studied his or others' photographs, he would be struck by the desire to step into the still frames as if only his knowledge that this was impossible stopped him from doing so. If he only forgot what he knew, he would be free. His daughter lay as still as any frozen image, and all he wanted was to step out of the picture and back into the real world, where his daughter danced and his wife laughed, and the sun gave off light and love instead of emanating tides of sickly darkness. The Smith family had transplanted to the hospital at St. Peter's because word spread that it was a safe place run by sane people. People who asked only that every resident do their fair share. With Liz worried that she might be pregnant again, and a young child vulnerable to any number of ails and ills, it had made all the sense in the world. They rode in the back of an ambulance driven by Priya Patel. Priya spent the ride chattering with a young woman who wore a red hood over her face and a sickle blade in her belt. The first month had been fine, marking as safe and contented a time as either Carver or Liz had felt in the five years since the city fell. Until the day came that Annika began to complain about her nightmares. In dreams, Annika was lost in hospital corridors, much like the ones that she now occupied. But these were different in subtle ways. 
a labyrinth, both familiar and foreign. Doors finished behind her as she passed. Rooms collapsed into one another as she tried to walk through them. And always, always she felt the presence of a thing that moved like a snake, but which she knew could not be a snake. Carver and Liz told Annika there was nothing to be afraid of. They assumed Annika's nightmares were an understandable psychological reaction to the strange and scary world she inhabited. That she learned quickly not to fear dreams, but instead to fear the very real beasts and monsters that stalked the city beneath the black sun. One day, Carver and Liz Smith realized how wrong they had been. You see, one day, Annika didn't wake up. There was nothing medically wrong with the girl, reported doctors Sue and Fleming. The women both conducted exhaustive examinations of the comatose child and could find no evidence of internal or external trauma. There was no reason for the girl to be asleep. And yet, she slept. And so there was nothing for either Carver or Liz Smith to do except wait. Carver thought of photographs. Liz thought of her daughter's stories of being lost in an empty hospital. Growing up a latchkey kid in the city, Liz Smith did not know how many afternoons she'd spent wandering the desiccated guts of abandoned buildings, old theaters, warehouses, offices, nightclubs. Places where blood had been spilt, love had been made, life had been lived. Liz would wander, soaking the echoes into her skin. And always, no matter the building and no matter how brightly the day rang, always she had been struck by a slight and sudden chill and the sensation of being watched. She wondered if she had been watched by the same thing that had so terrified Annika. Maybe it had always been one thing waiting in every empty space. As to the matter of Annika, ideas were suggested and fears were tested, but the girl slept on. After a month of this, the doctors Sue and Fleming each had to admit that they were at a loss. There were any numbers of new illnesses in the city beneath the black sun, like William Musgrave growing those red scales, or Gloria stuffing sprouting flowers along her spine flowers that bloomed with petals emblazoned with the faces of terrified people that Gloria did not know. Sometimes, in cases like this, there was just nothing to be done. So Carver and Liz Smith kept vigil by Annika's bed, he on her right and she on her left. And they prayed, each in her own way, for a miracle. What came to them was not a miracle. But a story. A story about a hawk. Now it was known all throughout St. Peter's that the Misters Oaks and Mayhew spent a great deal of time out in the city, dredging up the strangest corners and working the shadows to keep the hospital's lights on. Stories got around 
When confronted about an especially outlandish story, like the rumor that the parrots have had the one-on-one encounter with old King Croc, the new god of the sewer tribe, Mr. Oaks would scoff and smile and say something like, pish posh, or come on now. If he did this, it was a solid bet that the story was just a story. But, if, when confronted about an especially outlandish story, Mr. Oaks's scoff was forced, his smile tight, and he said something like, don't you worry about a thing like that. Well, in those cases, there's even money the story was not entirely just a story. The most recent tall tale surrounding the duo involved a parlay between the Misters Oaks and Mayhew, a leader from one of the street gangs, and an emissary of the man McRae, direct from the fortified center of the city. The story went that the parties formed a party to discuss fuel reserves, which the hospital needed, the street gangs wanted, and the man McRae claimed. A sniper had been positioned to remove the Misters Oaks and Mayhew, as well as the gang boy, from the city and from life itself. All had been lost. But then, a hawk, a red-tailed hawk. Out of nowhere, it had dropped out of the sky and attacked the sniper, saving Oaks, Mayhew, the gang boy, and the parties which those parties represented at the parlay party. A hawk, falling from the sky like a guardian angel, word got around. It wasn't too long before folks began to offer up whispers and hopes to the hawk. They'd look up and say, would you mind watching my back on this one? They'd look up and say, please keep Raymond safe. They'd look up and say, feel free to step in anytime. They never said any name. It had no name. But every offering went to the same place. Liz Smith cornered Mr. Oaks early in September. Is it true about the hawk? She asked point blank. Mr. Oaks' scoff was forced. His smile was tight. He said, You need to concern yourself with such things, and hurried off. Liz Smith was not, in fact, concerned about such things. Her concern, her every waking thought, was devoted to Annika. After resuming her vigil at her daughter's side, Doc McStuffin's toy still in hand, Liz thought of the hawk. The world darkened. Her eyes fluttered. She slept. When Liz Smith's eyes opened, the chair she occupied by her husband across their daughter's bed was empty. So was their daughter's bed. Liz Smith cried out, but there was no sound. All was silent. She ran out of the room. Her feet made no sound on the floor. The hospital was empty. All was still. Only when her final effort at screaming failed, only then did Liz Smith stop and take stock. And there, at last, was a sound, the flapping of wings. Liz Smith turned. The hawk watched her from its perch 
on the vacant nurse's station. The hawk flew. Liz followed, and in this way, the false faces of the corridors did not fool her. Save for the flapping of the hawk's wings, there was not a sound, nor another soul to see. But within the silence, Liz could sense another presence. It was nothing she could see, nothing she could name, but she felt eyes upon her back, sense of motion just out of the corner of her eye. There! Liz spun, but the hallway behind her was just as empty as it had been before. But it seemed to her that the shadows ran deeper. The hawk waited on the handlebar of the exit door. Liz pushed the door open and the bird took once more to wing. The city outside was as silent and as empty as the hospital interior. The hawk climbed upwards, fainter but still visible. Liz frowned. The sky here was a strange blood red, but the hawk seemed surrounded by a kind of glow that made it easily discernible. She looked at her own hands. No glow. Once more she felt the eyes upon her, and so she hurried up to follow the hawk. Whatever paranoia Liz had felt inside the hospital was magnified a thousandfold out in the open. The red sky turned every barren window into a glinting, hungry eye, the shadows curving towards her like crooked fangs. She began to long for any sound to break the awful hush. Shattering glass, car sirens, a scream, anything, anything at all. The vulnerability was magnified by her having to keep her eyes on the hawk high above. On more than one occasion, she felt something tense and scaled drag across her path. She would shriek her silent shriek, but when she looked down, there'd be nothing there but empty air, and then she would have to hurry to catch the hawk. She walked for hours. Liz only came to a rest when the hawk did. She followed it to the very edge of the city, where she expected to find the midnight desert, which had become so familiar over the course of five years but she did not see the desert. Before her were two gates, one of ivory, one of horn. The hawk sat atop the gates of horn, beneath the gates of ivory, Annika lay. She was trapped in the coils of a creature unlike anything Liz Smith had seen before. Its body was like that of a snake, but clawed hands lined its form some limbs functioned while others so small as to be vestigial. Matted, sickly fur patched its skin. Its head was mounted with a pointed snout, the flesh of its face red and raw as if recently flayed. Teeth grew in places that made no sense, springing from the roof of its mouth or sideways out of black gums. From where Liz Smith stood, she could see that her baby was screaming. It was instinct, pure, 
Liz Smith threw herself at the creature, battering it with her bare hands, clawing at its eyes with her nails. The creature thrashed, slamming her back with a thrust and raking her back with its claws. The pain came like fire, like ice. But Liz was back on her feet now, fighting back now, clubbing at the creature with whatever happened to be at hand, which, in this case, were the Doc McStuffins dolls her daughter loved so much. And here was a strange thing. The dolls began to glow, same as the hawk. A child's faith, a mother's love, a god's blessing. When Liz raised up her hand, she may as well have been wheeling lightning stolen straight from Zeus's stash. She stabbed, her fist plunging down the creature's throat. The skin ran down the creature's skull in a stream of red and white. Screams. Silent screams. The coils loosened. Liz grabbed Annika and pulled her free, daughter holding on to mother so tight like a body adrift on the ocean, fastening on to whatever floating vessel came along. The creature began to dwindle, sinking back into the darkness behind the gates of ivory. Liz Smith held her daughter close and took a few tottering steps away. She looked for the hawk, but it had abandoned its post atop the gates of horn. Liz only had a moment to ponder how exactly she was going to get them back home when she felt Annika tense against her. She turned just in time to see the creature, mid-launch, arcing towards them, blind and mad, jaws agape for the kill. She would not even have time to shield Annika. Time slowed. The creature's mouth yawned wider. Its throat gaped, a black pit of cold nothing, an endless sleep without dream or waking only inches away. There came the sound of flapping wings. The hawk caught the creature in midair and bore it up, talons fastened deep. Mother and daughter watched the hawk circle with its kill. Mother and daughter panicked when the hawk released the creature and its body careened right at them. The creature hit. The creature rolled. The creature stayed, limp. The hawk resumed its place atop the gates of horn. It seemed to Liz Smith to nod. It seemed to Annika Smith to smile. Liz hoisted Annika to a more comfortable position and then set off through the gates of horn and into the dark. She walked until all thought had left her and all action was machine-driven. One foot down and one foot up. One foot down and one foot up. She had no concept of direction, only a vague idea of forward. One foot down and one foot up.
When she awoke, it came as a surprise. At first, the silence still remained, but this was broken when the cups hit the floor and the water within exploded everywhere. Liz turned to see Carve in the doorway, an expression of shock on his face as he stared at something behind her. Before Liz had even begun to turn around, Annika had started giggling. Later, after the stories had made their rounds and Liz Smith's back had been stitched up, a certain Mr. Mayhew stepped onto the hospital roof and lit his pipe. His pipe was his only real affectation, and the smoking of it was perhaps the only element of his life he did not share with the Mr. Oaks. Since the city's fall, he had been rationing his tobacco with military precision. Before he had touched match the pipe, however, he became aware that he was being watched. The hawk sat on the edge of the roof. Mr. Mayhew tossed his match and pocketed his pipe. A quiet, almost silent man by nature, he had no interest in small talk, and so he let the moment pass, observing the hawk and letting it observe him. At last, he said, You're not alone, you know. It seems like hardly a month goes by these days without some new deity springing up. It's the why of it that has me confounded. A new pantheon taking shape. He shook his head. To the fledgling god, he said, You might seek out another of your kind to help you learn the ropes, as it were. The hawk, it seemed to him, shrugged as if to say, I'm open to ideas. Well, Miss Mayhew said, if you don't mind a bit of smell, there's a crocodile I could introduce you to. But that's another story. Hello, and thank you for listening to this episode of Black Sun Dispatches, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. My name is Brandon Foley, and I write, produce, and perform this show. Uh, as is becoming a weird tradition, I am recording this part way too late. Uh, hopefully you can't tell in my voice. Um, I'm sorry, it's been a long day with lots of Game of Thrones and other stuff. Uh, Black Sun Dispatches is only one of many great shows offered by the Cinepunks Network. Uh, if you didn't like this one, uh, that's totally fine. You can still check out Cinepunks, Loud Fast Philly, Horror Business, or, or any of the other shows we have, or any of the amazing writing that we have all over the Cinepunks site. There's just tons of great stuff. Uh, something will catch your fancy uh, just by playing the odds. Uh, Cinepunks is sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. You can hit them up at xlvacx.com. Again, it's Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, and you can hit them up at xlvacx.com. I don't know why I just said that like Nick Cage, but as I said, I am 
Cinepunk Tide. You can be a Cinepunk sponsor yourself uh, by supporting our Patreon, which you can find on our website. Uh, if you like this show, please help spread the word on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, let everyone know. Uh, if you didn't like this show, that's perfectly fine. Uh, I only hate you a little bit. Uh, but, you know, just kind of keep that to yourself. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the true F, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Black Sun Show. Uh, the show's Twitter will feature updates about new episodes, uh, hints about what's maybe upcoming, uh, and lots of other fun stuff. Uh, so, Black Sun Dispatch's logo was designed by Jennifer Rogers, uh, and the music for this episode is Winter by E.L. Heath. Uh, so, tune in next time. Uh, we will be going on. Uh, let me see the next date. It'll probably be uh, September eleventh. Uh, uh, so that's in a few weeks. Uh, so join us then for episode 11, The Rats. Oh yeah, we're going there. <laughs> uh, hopefully you'll be there with us. Uh, and thanks. Have a good one. Bye guys.